Blog Talk Radio. You are listening to the Run to Daylight Football Funcast with your host, Todd Burroughs. to Daylight Podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Todd Burrows. You can find me on Twitter at Todd from PA. That's at Todd with one D from PA. And you could check out a podcast I did this week on Rotoviz. Uh, I was I was pretty happy with it. It was the mailbag show with Jeremy Hart. We had a few laughs and I got a chance to be the number two banana and uh I I enjoy that role almost as much as being the lead guy doing my own pod. Uh, It takes a lot of the pressure off and you can just concentrate on making people laugh and giving them good information. It's been a really interesting week in the NFL. One of the more active trade deadlines that we've ever seen. And I am going to have my good friend Sal Lito lead off the podcast with us and we'll go through each one of these deals and we'll look at it from both a redraft and a dynasty perspective and and a real football perspective as well and then the week got even more interesting with a couple key injuries which we'll also call uh go over and um with that in mind I'm doing great, Todd. Were you singing along today? I think I was. I think I heard you singing in the background. It's an awesome tribute. Thank you, sir. Ah, you're welcome. You're welcome. You're welcome. It, uh, I always want to do that, and this time I actually did it. By the way, uh, very good chance next week we're going to be on and taking our bye. Uh, the bye weeks are kind of heading down, and uh, have to see how I feel on Monday or Tuesday. But I did plan on us taking a bye week, and uh, – Week 10 seems as good of a week as any. Um, Sal, it's been a real interesting week, and uh, how are you doing with all the changes? Uh, I tell you, between the the changes and the injuries, as you were pointing out, I think a lot of rosters are a little up up in the air, especially on a six-team bye week uh, with guys moving to new locations, some of them not quite being ready to dress and play for the teams. It's a really difficult week to find bodies. You know, I the worst for me is SFB7. I'm in first place. I'm 7-1. and one, But I had my worst week of the year last week. I was lucky that my opponent was worse. And this week I've got uh, Burkhead on by. I've got McKinnon on by. 
I've got Corey Coleman on buy and injured. I've got Adam Thielen on buy. I've got Hunter Henry on buy. I've got Jordan wow. Reed out with an injury. Uh, so I'm picking up guys like Aldrick Robinson and Russell Shepard, and I'm going to start Mike Wallace. And then to just really kick me in the balls, Martellus Bennett is injured. So <laughs> it looks like I'm going to be starting Johnu Smith, whether Walker plays or not. So um, the only good thing I could say about that team so far this week is that Tyrod Taylor put up over 30 points. Listen, I love Johnu Smith. Uh, this week, especially if Walker is out. And uh, being that you have to play him regardless, I don't expect Walker to be at full strength if he does play. So Janu Smith is a guy who's been used in the offense while Walker was there. I believe he has two receiving touchdowns on the season already. He is very quick uh, for his position. And if he is on the field all three downs this week, I love the play. I picked him up, and I am starting him in a 16-team league where I have Jordan Reed as well. Yeah, I, I, I John knew what you mean. <laughs> so essentially here, um, the other thing about that is that if you're going to beat Baltimore in the passing game, uh, they're, they're much more susceptible to the tight end than to the wide receiver. Yeah, six, six uh, tight end touchdowns. Now, three of those came to uh, Mercedes Lewis in one game, but they've given up three more on top of that. They have been vulnerable of all places against tight ends, for sure. I'm I'm more vulnerable to criticism, but that's a completely different story. So um, <laughs> what we're, what, what, before we get into the trades and all the effects, I, I think we have to cover uh, the injury to Deshaun Watson, uh, tore an ACL throwing a pitch out, for goodness sake. Yeah, we discussed this the other night on uh, on the Falafel House podcast as well, and it's just a shame that you see so many so many players in general, but a lot of good young players. Uh, we lost Alvin Cook this year to a non-contact ACL injury, and it's just to me these guys it, at are. At least he was running though. Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. It's sometimes it's just a matter of stepping. Basically, he was the air. The, the air took him out, and. These guys' bodies, their bodies are so wound tight, and they're so uh, in such great physical shape. Everything's too tight, in my opinion. You know, it, it's it's literally just waiting to pop, and that's really what's going on with some of these players. It's a shame. He was by far the rookie of the year. He was by far an absolute find for anybody who drafted him late in in whether it be uh, redraft or got him in, in dynasty leagues where you thought you'd have him on a taxi squad this year, but were able to add him in. He was wonderful. He had an unbelievable game against a tough Seattle team in Seattle last week, seemingly became matchup proof. And then this happens. I know. So Tom Savage steps in and I think most people are thinking that they're going to get the, the Savage who played horrendously week one, but I, I do think people forget that that was against the Jacksonville Jaguars who got like nine sacks on him. Um, and, and Watson with his mobility was a better option. Uh, he's playing the Indianapolis Colts this week. What do you think about playing uh, some Savage in uh, GPPs? Well, listen, he's got unbelievable weapons, right? I mean, we all know what DeAndre Hopkins has been doing since uh, – since basically Watson stepped in in the second half of that first game, but Will Fuller has come back and set the league on fire. He continues a touchdown pace that just seems impossible 
to see continue. But every week you think it's going to stop. He, the guy puts up two touchdowns. So if he just comes in and throws the ball, get the ball in these guys' hands, uh, I think he'll be successful. Lamar Miller's been pretty decent lately. Uh, he's good out of the backfield. So the weapons are in place. Savage needs to not make – with having those weapons available, why not? Why not go with that play where he's going to probably have a very low ownership and has a chance of putting up a really solid game against an absolutely terrible Indy defense? I've got six Millie Maker teams this uh, week, and one of them has Tom Savage as the quarterback. Uh, 46 or four, yeah, 46 or 4,800, I forget which it is. Um, Hopefully you catch lightning in a bottle. Um, you know, it, it's a nice way to win a million bucks. There's already been two quarterbacks this year who have won a million bucks playing the Indianapolis Colts. So um, if I end up being the third one, we'll definitely be on by next week. Yeah, and I might be on my way to uh, Pennsylvania. Hey, I promise if I win a million dollars, I'll get you something. I don't know what it'll be, but it'll be something. I'll take a vacation. (laughs) I was thinking more of a Millie Maker entry. Okay, I'll take it. I'm willing to sell it. Give you you a fair chance to win a million. So um, the other injury was Pierre Garçon. Um, so they're not going to be able to call for the waiter in San Francisco anymore this week. Um, and that leads into the first trade, the Jimmy Garoppolo trade. What are your thoughts on the trade and, you know, just the dearth of talent that he walks into without Garcon there? Yeah, I mean, it was already not great with Garcon. Aaron Garcon's a guy I like. He's an absolute uh, uh, PPR threat weekly, uh, but – you know, there's outside of Hyde, what do they really have there at this point? Kittle, uh, Kittle was somebody everybody was feeling suddenly was arriving and then really faded out pretty quickly. So I think the rumor was or the word was that uh, week 11, I think they might even take their time a little bit more on that. The, the 49ers know they're winning nothing this year. So they may not want to expose him and, and, and give him the opportunity to get injured, but I know they're going to want to get him his feet wet and familiar with the offense. So you probably will see him at some point, but he's not going to be a factor uh, in any type of fantasy this year. Maybe, maybe 15, 16 weeks, 15, 16, 17, if he's in there and maybe you want to put him in a, in a DFS lineup. But as far as a redraft, he's probably not worth adding in redraft at all. And uh, Dynasty, uh, he probably was owned in most places already because I think a lot of people had him backing up Tom Brady thinking that in a year or so he was going to be the replacement in New England. So, uh, you know, this is more of a long-term trade for San Francisco, and I think it's a good one. I think he could have success there. I think he's a good quarterback, has the tools, but as far as fantasy goes for this year, pretty irrelevant. The word truther is rarely attached to my name because – one of my founding principles is that I, you know, I'll trade anyone if I can get more back, right? Uh, you know, I'm a giant fan. Odell Beckham went down with an injury. I traded him the next day uh, in a dynasty league uh, with Watson, by the way, for uh, and a first round pick. And I got back uh, Russell Wilson and Michael Thomas. So, 
you know, I, I'm I'm kind of like Switzerland when it comes to players, but I'm a Jimmy Garoppolo truther. I liked him coming out of college. I own him in five of my six dynasty leagues, and I was counting on him replacing Tom Brady, but the more time that you spent looking at it, the more you realize Tom Brady has a few more years left in him, and the, it just was going to be too expensive for – the Patriots to keep both of them over the next couple years. Uh, I was, I will say I was a little surprised with the price. So only a second round pick, but now San Francisco has to pay him beyond the fact that he's no longer in new England. Uh, he ended up in one of the better spots that I could have hoped with Kyle Shanahan. Yeah. The weapons aren't there now, but over the next few years, you got to believe that Kyle Shanahan uh, with Garoppolo, you know, is going to get the most out of Jimmy Garoppolo. Yeah, they have picks. Uh, they're going to sign guys. They're going to they're going to draft guys. Lynch looks like a guy who's looking to turn over the roster and and do things uh, the right way. I like it. I like the landing spot as well. Kevin Cotillo, who uh, who hosts the Fall Fellows podcast with myself and Steve, he is obviously a big New England guy, and he is also a Garoppolo truther. He any league that I'm in with him, he had already owned him. He paid up for him dearly in one league, um, and he he raved about him the other night, uh, even after the trade. So there is somebody out there with you, bud. Yep, absolutely. Well, and the other note on this is that Kyle Shanahan wanted to, the Browns to draft Garoppolo and not Johnny Manziel. Back, he, he had Derek Carr as his number one quarterback, followed by Garoppolo in that draft. Ahead of Teddy Bridgewater, ahead of Johnny Rehab. Yes, from what I heard, those were the only two quarterbacks he actually liked in the draft, were Carr and Garoppolo. Yeah. Well, Garoppolo has a very quick release. It should fit very well, and I, I trust that Shanahan's going to put him in a good spot. Um, I, and, you know, so I, I think it was a great trade for San Francisco. I heard some people talking about, well, this, you know, there's a lot of people who are really in, in the fantasy community who are down on John Lynch because he didn't earn it, right? He didn't earn being a GM other than being a player. But John Elway was just a player who hadn't done anything, and, and he's done just fine. And giving up a second for Garoppolo, I mean, even if you, even if you end up whiffing on this, it's not a it's not a franchise killer like taking someone with the third pick in the draft or if you trade up like the uh, like the Rams did for Goff and if it hadn't worked out now it looks like it's going to but last year it didn't I mean that's far worse so I really think that this was a great move by Lynch and he deserves a lot of credit for take you know for getting a guy who has shown the ability to be a franchise quarterback in the NFL. Yeah, I can't argue with any of those points. And anybody who's uh, not happy that he got an opportunity he didn't deserve, and most likely is somebody who would like that opportunity himself. Maybe it sounds like a little bit of jealousy. The guy's got a good football mind. And, you know, you go in for an interview if you impress somebody. How many times have you seen a guy uh, come in for an interview that was kind of like a token interview and didn't expect him to get the job even as a coach? And they walk away as the head coach because they're so impressive. So you can't say what was – or the thoughts that were exchanged in that meeting that if San Francisco felt like he was the guy for the job, that he was the, the guy for the job. 
Absolutely. And he, and he deserves a real chance. And I think this was a very good start. I thought he had a pretty good draft. Moving on to our next topic, Kelvin Benjamin traded to the Bills. I got to admit, Sal, this one really shocked me at first. And then afterwards, I kind of understood it. But I was really shocked when this came across my phone. This was the one that actually surprised me the most as well. Um, the, the, the Panthers are five and three. They're in co- contention for that division. That division is wide open with the Falcons coming back to earth after the first four weeks of the season. I know that the Saints have started to make a little bit of run in that division, but we all know it, it's completely wide open. So I didn't understand moving clearly your best receiving weapon, uh, you know, wide receiver, big play weapon with, with Olsen out. Uh, but they did it, and, th- you know, they had their reasons, which you could explain. But it stunned me because it didn't sound like Benjamin had any issues there or there was any trouble that I thought of, uh, unlike when we get to the Ajayi trade, which we'll discuss. But so, yeah, this, this caught me out of left field as well. Yep. Now the thing here was my thought, and 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 you know you know me, I'm a pretty honest guy. If I heard this from someone else, I'd say, hey, I heard someone else say X, but I was thinking it through, and you know I've played Cam Newton a couple a good bit over the last couple weeks in DFS, so I've watched a lot of their games, and Benjamin just doesn't get separation. And him and Funches are like bookends. They're exactly the same receiver. And they let Ted Ginn go. And that offense just was a lot better when they had a deep threat. So I think what happened was there was a lot of news about how Benjamin came to camp out of shape. And he doesn't get a lot of separation. And he's coming up on a contract year. They're going to have to pay him. And I think they just decided that we might as well get a couple picks for this guy because we don't want to pay him. So I don't blame the Panthers for it, even though it did surprise me. And it certainly could be argued it's going to be detrimental to their chances of winning this year. But I I do think Cam needs that guy who can, you know, Cam is not the guy to put the ball in a tight window accurately. But he throws a good deep ball. That opens up the rest of the field. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on, on those thoughts? No, I, I think that's excellent and well put. And I think that they have a guy on the roster right now who can do that. That's rookie Curtis Samuel, who did, did that type of thing in college. I mean, he has the ability. He, he's fast. He can get downfield and make those plays. He is not going to be a consistent seven, eight, nine, ten reception a, a game guy. But like you said, Ted Ginn, Ted Ginn is, wasn't either. Ted Ginn was, hey, we're going to take three or 40 shots downfield, and you're going to catch one or two of them a game, and it'll be a huge play that could turn a game on its ear. So uh, they do have a guy in the roster that could do that. So I, I think it's an excellent point. Funches could step in and play the, the Benjamin role, and Samuel will step in and play the Ginn role, and let's see how it goes. And then, of course, you know, they're going to go steadily short because he's getting a ton of, of targets to uh, to Christian McCaffrey or Tiny Dancer, as we once referred to him. <laughs> well, we also have Russell Shepard, who I, I'm going to play a little bit in DFS this week. Um, you know, I think he's 3,100. He played more. He plays more snaps, Samuel, but doesn't get as many targets necessarily. But there's obviously going to be some targets now. I know a lot of people are 
thinking just McCaffrey's going to get even more targets, and he probably will. But McCaffrey's been a little disappointing in that he ca- he's, he's amazing at catching the ball, but he, he doesn't make people miss, and he hasn't run well between the tackles. And for him to be, you know, that next-level player that a lot of people thought he was, I, I'm not seeing that. Yeah, it hasn't been what people were hoping to see early. Um, plenty of career left, obviously, for that to come about. But, um, yeah, it's volume alone has, has gotten him to be valuable, especially in PPR leagues this year. But he has not had the big plays that you would hope for. You mentioned the Jay Ajayi trade. Break that down for us, Sal. Well, I mean, here's one way you can understand what went on here. This is a very selfish guy. This is a guy who had arguments and words with the coach uh, about not getting the ball enough after they won games. This is a guy who seemed to be more involved in his own personal life and stuff outside of the team. A very selfish guy. And a guy who, if you know his history, has significant knee issues, uh, does not have a long-term career ahead of him, and had to sit out a lot of practices so. Kenyon Drake got a lot of run of those practices. The coaches saw Drake. They saw something that they liked. And with the way that they stand out, when his team loses, it loses badly. Somehow, I believe their record is 4-3, and three, somehow. But when they lose, they lose badly. And last week's game was a terrible performance, specifically by the offense. They wanted to shake things up. They wanted to get the point across, and they moved this guy out of there. They, they got a fourth-round pick for him, which is okay. Nothing spectacular, but I really think that they saw the fact that this, this guy isn't long-term. He's extremely inconsistent. It's time for him to go. Yeah, and, and from the Philadelphia perspective, Sal, I know that a lot of people are thinking that, uh, you know, why did they do this? They've got three running backs. Well, I feel like they've got three running backs because they don't like any of them all that much. In other words, Doug Peterson comes from Kansas City and Philadelphia where they always had one back who had 65 70% who was a three-down back. Ajayi gives them uh, potentially a three-down back who they could lean upon for two-thirds of the work. I think they're going to try and make him that, and only time will tell if that ends up being the case can't disagree with you there much better offensive line at Philly even though they lost that big uh, big player last week in Peters but I think that you're right I he's he's clearly the best back right now of that group um I don't like his matchup at all this week um uh, we we've spoken about my sink or swim article in the past he is on my sink list for this week um I'm not even sure that he's going to get a lot of carries this week they might ease him in and then uh the following week will be a big play for him so Wait a little while on him, and uh, with that better offensive line, Philadelphia right now appears to be the best team in the league. Uh, They're in the driver's seat for home field advantage throughout the NFC playoffs, and they're going for it. They're essentially saying, hey, here's our window. You don't get these opportunities a lot. Let's bulk up. Fourth-round pick, it was worth it. Last trade for us to discuss, Sal, is the Dwayne Brown trade. Um, I think he is a tremendous pickup for Seattle, who lost George Fenton the preseason at left tackle. Um, 
you know, they've got a pretty good center in Britt. And when you've got two good linemen, a lot of times you can get by and really see improvement. So uh, they replaced their worst offensive lineman with an all, you know, a Pro Bowl uh, or all pro type tackle. This is going to really, I think, out of all the trades, this is the one that's going to, we're going to see the biggest impact out of for the rest of this year. Yeah, I can't disagree with that either. This was a guy who clearly needed out of Houston. There was some definite issues with him there. He was never going to be happy. And they had to move him while they could. They got a decent amount of picks back for him. Uh, originally, there was uh, Jerry Lane. Jeremy Lane was in there. Is that his first name? And, uh, yes. And he couldn't pass the physical. So, I know so his he sister, went back Penny. There and, <laughs> nice. I, I, she's excellent, excellent song. <laughs> and um, – yeah, this makes a big difference because they have struggled mightily in a run game. Seattle is a good team. I'm not a fan of the team. I'm not a fan of Pete Carroll. I do like Russell Wilson, and Wilson in recent weeks has really stepped up and carried the team on his back. They need to get a semblance of a run game going there. They have plenty of running backs. Now let's see who takes charge. The word is they're going to run heavy on Lacey this week. I'll believe that when I see it. But uh, if nothing else, they've definitely given themselves a better opportunity to run the ball by making the, tra- the trade for Brown. Awesome. Sal, thank you very much. Always really good stuff. I, I think Eddie Lacy is another guy who's real sneaky uh, this week, and I can- will probably discuss him with the Mauler. Speaking of the Mauler, him at Motown Mauler on Twitter. Mauler, you're back. Hey, how's it going, Todd? Long time no see. <laughs> Last week, uh, the Mauler was MIA, and uh, unlike Jay Ajayi, who's no longer in MIA. Yeah, I... Uh... I honestly was dead to the world last week. I, I wasn't feeling well. Um, I dozed off. I didn't set my alarm. And next thing you know, I wake up and it's Sunday. So uh, uh, I'm back and I'm uh, 100% ready to go. Awesome. Glad to have you back, Mueller. Uh Let's start with the quarterback position. Well, up top at the quarterback, I'm looking at Russell Wilson and Drew Brees this week. Uh Drew Brees is at home versus a terrible Tampa Bay uh, pass defense. I think he'll be probably uh, the highest owned on the slate. It'll be between him and Wilson. Uh, My pivot off those guys for tournament plays is Dak Prescott. Um, I would like to stack him with Dez. Uh, My mid-tier guy is Cam Newton tomorrow. I play a lot of bunches with him. I think the one-off play um, stack with him is Ed Dixon tomorrow, or you can look at – um, Sterling or Samuel, one of the new receivers that will be trying to fill in for some of the targets that Benjamin used to get. So, like Cam at the mid-tier and then my lower-tier guys, um, you know, you're just going to have to throw a dart here. I like uh, Jacoby Brissett paired with Doyle or T.Y. Hilton, um, both great values. Uh, you can take a shot with Savage and try and stack him with Hopkins, uh, Will Fuller, 
I would take a look at uh, at Johnu Smith if Delaney Walker is going to be out. I think um, he'll be a good check down target for Savage tomorrow. And then uh, the last lower tier guys that I'm looking except at, except uh, he's on Tennessee. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, you're right. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, sorry Mueller. <laughs> Well, one slip up. All right. Uh, Boy, I, I was going to say that's one hell of a checkdown. What? <laughs> uh, Three thousand mile checkdown on that one. All right, <laughs> so we got a five yard flag for uh, for a misstep there. But uh, the last hey, value, we all do it, um, Mauler. The the last value stack I'm looking at tomorrow is Eli um, with Sterling Shepard or or Evan Ingram. Uh, but the guy um, that I'm going to have the most of. Um, at a low ownership tomorrow is, is um, Jameis Winston with Mike Evans. Uh, last week, the people that um, played Deshaun Watson in the high-scoring Seattle game, you know, Seattle was supposed to be favored, um, and those people that played Watson um, got paid off. And I'm kind of looking at it, looking at it like last week, where I think the New Orleans Tampa Tampa game will be high-scoring. I think Tampa will be playing catch-up. And of all the quarterbacks I mentioned, um, I'm looking at maybe 5% ownership at Winston, so I'm going to take my chance there tomorrow. Awesome. You really covered almost all of my plays. Um, The one guy that you didn't mention that I'm going to have a decent amount of is Alex Smith. I think that Dak is going to have much higher ownership. Uh, Well, maybe not much higher, but he's going to have higher ownership than Alex Smith. And Alex Smith is $200 less. He's got better mix of weapons and he can get some running touchdowns as well. So I've got him in the mix, a guy uh, I'm not playing right now, but uh, definitely deserves mention is Jared Goff. The Giants D has been very disappointing this year. And then my super sneaky GPP win a million dollars play at 1% ownership is Kirk Cousins. He's, he's down a couple weapons, uh, but Kirk Cousins can throw the ball. And Seattle, we, we saw last week, has uh, issues in the secondary at times. And Earl Thomas looks like he's going to miss uh, tomorrow. And Cam Chancellor is also dinged up. So, um I, I think that uh, I made a prediction on the Rotoviz mailbag podcast that Kirk Cousins was going to win someone a million dollars tomorrow. After I said it and looked a little deeper, I'm like, boy, that was that really was a uh, a uh, <laughs> a bold call because it doesn't make it a lot of sense. But you know, a guy like Kirk Cousins at one percent, mix him with Vernon Davis and Chris Thompson, and hope you win a million dollars. So we move on to the running back position, unless you've got any comment on my wild Kirk Cousins play. Mahler? Yeah, Mahler. I, I hit the mute. No, I'm here. I hit the mute button so I could listen. Okay. But I was right there. I was going to mention Vernon Davis with you, but you covered that. So. I really like the Cousins, Vernon Davis, uh, Chris Thompson stack tomorrow. So I think that's very sneaky, and um, I think you might be right. Um, we've had some bold calls here the past few weeks, and we've been right on. So I wouldn't uh, – And you can I bring it back with Baldwin. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's you know, one of those calls that makes sense. So moving on to the running back, I like the guys um, 
up top, and it's 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 a coin flip for me. I mean, just make your lineup and see what you have salary wise, because I think um, Elliot Hunt, Gurley, and Ingram are all right there, you know, with each other. I'm going to have Gurley the most, um, probably followed by Ingram, just because of the pricing. Uh, Mid-price guys, I think Hyde is the chalk and the talk of the town. You want to pivot off him for tournaments, take a look at AP or uh, DeMarco Murray. Uh, Low-owned guys that I'm looking at are uh, Dante Foreman and uh, Alex Collins. Those are my uh, low-priced value guys. Yeah, I'm big on Zeke this week on the up end, on the top end. Um, I, I at first I had no Zeke, and then I, you know, I keep. I, I think a lot of times once people get it in their mind that they're going to make a play. Everyone was on Dak and Dez, and, and look, Dak and Dez, I'm going to have some of Dak and Dez, but I, I think you can play Dak, Dez, and Elliot, and you could play Dak and just Elliot, or you could just play a lot of Elliot and hope that you get some leverage on the Dak and Bryant ownership. Um, Kansas City's not a good run defense. He's $9,000. It, there's not a lot of awesome values out there and people are, I think are going to be a little hesitant to, to play Elliot when Gurley's 8,100 and hunt is also a good bit cheaper uh, at 8,600. So yeah, I like, I like uh, Zeke a lot. That, that kind of grew on me as the week went over in the mid price. My number one owned running back this week is going to be Doug Martin. I know there's going to be the Jameis Winston, you know, playing and Mike Evans and, and Deshaun Jackson. And, you know, it's the Coors field of uh, the NFL, but the way to beat the saints is on the running game. Doug Martin right now, according to fantasy labs has got two to 4% ownership. So even if he gets up to eight, uh, Doug Martin at 5,800, he, he's got two touchdown upside in him. He's got 20-point upside in him. And if you can get a big game out of Doug Martin, I think he's a great leverage running back and my favorite running back play on the board. Um, if you want a couple guys who are lower priced, who are a little bit contrarian, uh, De- Devontae Freeman is banged up, and I normally don't play a lot of Tevin Coleman, but I will have a little bit of Tevin Coleman. And then Marlon Mack at 4,100. I think if you're going to stack up that Houston-Indiana game, if you think that Savage has a good game, then you play Mack. And if you think that Savage has a bad game, then you can play Gore. Uh, but Mack is very explosive. It's a fast turf where he seems to play well. And then my ultimate low guy, uh, Sal mentioned in the previous segment, Eddie Lacy at 3,200. You add Dwayne Brown at left tackle, and they, you hear that they're not going to split the carries this week, that they're going to give Eddie Lacy a nice amount of carries. You know, he gets one touchdown and 50 yards. You get 11, 12 points out of a 3,200 guy and it opens up a lot of other value throughout your lineup. So that's my running back calls, and we head on to wide receiver. Yeah, wide receiver up top, I think uh, Michael Thomas is the chalk, uh, but I do like him. Uh, He's been very consistent the last few weeks, uh, seven catches, 70, 80 yards. Um, Hasn't gotten in the end zone, but we'll look for that to change this week. 
love Doug Baldwin. Um, but I really like a lot of guys down there in the mid-tier price range, Devin Funches, T.Y. Hilton, Sterling Shepard. Um, and then with the news of Pierre Garçon being gone for the year, I'm going to have a little bit of Marcus Godwin. I, uh, yeah, wide receiver is not that exciting. Uh, the, the other chalky guy is going to be T.Y. Hilton at 4,900. Um, Evan Silva, turned a lot of people on to Demarcus Robinson at 3,200 for Kansas city with both Conley and Albert Wilson out Uh, in the mid range. I like Tyreek Hill. And I also like Larry Fitzgerald. San Francisco is brutal against slot receivers. Stanton is awful, but he's going to throw the ball 30, 35 times and Fitz at two to 4% ownership right now. Uh, I, I he's a guy that really grew on me as the week went on. And let's see, I really want to like AJ green because it, it's a great way to turn the slate upside on its head. Uh, he's going to have low ownership. And if you can find it in yourself to give him 20%, I just haven't been able to find it in myself to do that. So uh, let's see, is there anyone else? I also like Sterling Shepard, and I'm really big on Doug Baldwin this week. On to the tight end. Well, tight end, when you look up top, it's either Kelsey or Ertz. Um, It looks like Ertz is going to be the lower-owned of the two, so if I had to choose uh, for a tournament, I would go Ertz. Um, But, you know, you can't go wrong with either. Um, When you move down, love Evan Ingram, and I love his ownership tomorrow. Same with Vernon Davis. Um, I think Jack Doyle, his ownership goes up tomorrow. So, you know, I like the Vernon Davis and Ingram pivots off him. Value, I'm looking at Ed Dixon and Johnny Smith, as I mentioned earlier, if uh, Delaney Walker's out. Yeah, I love the Johnny Smith call. He's a talented young player. Uh, I like Jimmy Graham some uh, to add to your list. Uh Ertz has a little bit of a hamstring. I hope he has a good week. I won't own a ton of them this week, and I, I, I'm not going to have a ton of Kelsey either. I'm looking to save at the position. I like Jason Witten. Cole Beasley's out, which leaves the middle of the field. Um, again, another nice leverage play on Des Bryant, who's going to have pretty high ownership and who just – hasn't been great this year. And he, look, I, I'm still going to have a decent amount of Dez, but that that's, uh, that's, you know, Witten, Witten's, you know, a, a low ownership I like here. And then I think if you really got some balls, you could go with either uh, Tyler Higby or Gerald Everett of the Rams. The Giants are just the worst against the tight end. Everybody scores against them. Uh, Higby's 2,800. He's not getting the uh, targets that you would like to see. Normally, I wouldn't take a play like this, but to get a chance to leverage uh, that bad giant uh, defense, I want to have some exposure to the Giants covering a tight end every week. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. On to defense. Well, um, I look at the defense. Uh, Washington's line is terrible. Um, you mentioned uh, 
the two safeties that are out for the Seahawks, but I still think they can get to the quarterback. So they're in play at 3,500. Um, the Texans are definitely in play against uh, Indianapolis. I think that's going to turn into a low-scoring game, but you never know. Um, what I'm looking at is uh, trying to save a little money, so I'm okay with either the 49ers or Cardinals. D. They're playing each other. Um, 49ers are at home, um, but like I said, both uh, quarterbacks, you're looking at Drew Stanton. Um, you're looking at the second-string quarterback for the 49ers, so – Uh, Anything can happen there, but I'm probably going to have the most of the Colts. Uh, Minimum $2,000. We're looking at Tom Savage starting in place of Watson. Hasn't had much uh, regular season reps since uh, the first half of the first game. And, I mean, you're saving $1,500 between them and uh, the Seahawks, D. So, um, you know, I think that's a a decent decent play for $2,000. Yep. Uh, going to be pretty popular, but uh, you know, my other salary saver is the Denver defense at 2,600. Uh, you don't need a lot out of Denver there. And Carson Wentz is still a second year quarterback. I know everyone is in love with him and rightfully so, but losing Jason Peters and having Von Miller on the other side of the ball and, and uh that other kid from Missouri who just came back from knee injury. Um, You know, all you need is a few sacks and one or two turnovers and that defense could pay off and it's going to be owned a lot less than uh, Indianapolis. Although, you you know, it costs you 600 more. Uh, The the mid price defense that I really like is Baltimore. Baltimore is the uh, highest scoring defense in all of fantasy this year, Marcus Mariota is susceptible to turnovers. He's come, he's, you know, probably still a little sore with that hamstring. We haven't been seeing him running the ball and they've got Brandon Williams back against the run. I think Baltimore is the sneaky defense of the week. Um, the Rams are a good choice. The, uh, the Eagles are a very good choice with uh, Brock Wotweiler, as uh, Peter Jennings called him this week on his pod. But my favorite defense of the week is to pay up for Jacksonville at 3,800. Um, I'll have about 30% of them. I'll find the dollars. Andy Dalton does not play good against pressure. They don't have a great run game. And now you're adding Marcel Darius to that already amazing line. And the Jacksonville Jaguars are the second highest scoring team. And the Bengals offensive line is downright ugly. So um, that's my favorite play. Mauler, what do you think of those plays and any other thoughts? Yeah, I think the good thing and the cool thing about the defense this week is there's so many different options at every price point that you can comfortably fill in your lineup and then, you know, just go see how much money you have left and, and, you know, pinpoint a defense there. So I think that's one of the cool things. No, no one really stands out, um, you know, and there's just so much top to bottom because of injuries and uh, defenses facing second string quarterbacks and whatnot. So I think that uh, that makes your job of constructing the lineup a little easier this week. Awesome. Mauler, great to have you back. And uh, we might be on by next week. 
but um, I really appreciate you, uh, your thoughts, and good luck tomorrow. Yeah, good luck to you tomorrow, and, uh, um, you know, if we are on by next week, I'll see you in two weeks. If not, I will see you in seven days. All right, Mauler. That's the Mauler, everyone. Uh, now we're going to play our segment, our tape segment every week with Dr. Jeffrey Budoff. We get into not only some of the current news, but we get into a deeper discussion about ACL injuries, why so many of them happen. And as always, the good doc not only covers the meat and potatoes, if you'll excuse the kind of uh, meat pun, uh, but he really offers great insights. He's a big fantasy football player himself. And here is the good doctor. Normally, I would just introduce the doc, but I just remembered when we talked today that he mentioned that his two daughters and his son sometimes listen to the pod. So I want to give a shout out to them. And now, here's the doc. Please welcome to the show once again, Dr. Jeffrey Budoff. Doc, how are you this week? Great, Todd. How are you? I'm excellent. Glad to have you on as always. It's It's been an interesting week. It started out, you know, every week uh, the doc will email me on Tuesday or Wednesday and say, who do you want to talk about? And <clears throat> this week we were like, boy, there's not much going on. And then two major injuries happened the next day. So um, let's start off with, uh, with Watson, the quarterback from uh, Houston and his injury. Uh, and ACL, um, what, have you heard about any other complications, any other ligaments going on that uh, injury? I have not. As far as I know, it's a simple isolated ACL. And uh, the recovery for that for a quarterback right now, and what's interesting is he did tear his ACL on his other knee in college. Uh, have you ever noticed that it seems like guys who have who blow out one ACL tend to blow out the other knee as well? Oh, there's no question. That that's, that was proven decades ago. There is statistically significant increased chance of tearing out an ACL if you tore out the other one. And, and there's a lot of theories on that. But the main one is, you know, some people have different sized bones and some people have different sized ligaments. And if you tear out an ACL, the thought is it's a correlation, statistically significant association, if you will, with a smaller ACL, which means your other ACL is also smaller and also at higher risk of being torn out. Now, the fact that he tore out his other ACL is much, much, much better for him than if he had re-injured the left one, which he tore back in college. That would be a much bigger deal. But he should have a smooth recovery, assuming there is no other, you know, complicating injuries that I don't know about. And he should, you know, it's six to nine months, obviously longer for a running back or a wide receiver, shorter for a quarterback is, you know, they're not as uh, required to cut, but he's a pretty mobile quarterback, but still he'll be able to be throwing, I'd say in about six months. So he'll be in training camp, may not be mobile until the start of the year, 
But uh, barring any setbacks, you know, the odds are 95% chance he's starting the year, and even though he might not scramble quite as much initially. Yep, uh, that's very good. The other thing I wanted to ask you about on these ACLs is he, he blew his leg out doing a pitch. Now, you know, I'm old. I'm 55. And when I was a kid, we had knee injuries. And I'm sure some of them were ACLs, even though I don't know that people called them that back then. Um, you know, they just said you tore a ligament. They, they it, we did, you know, you wouldn't hear which ligament normally. But um, you, you, you pretty much just heard it was either a ligament damage or cartilage damage. Uh, but uh, to make a long question even longer, what I'm asking is, does it also seem to you that there's just a lot more ACL injuries now? And is there anything that you could attribute it to? Well, yeah, I, I think there may be. I mean, there may be a reporting bias that you hear about every single one. But, you know, the athletes, they're getting bigger and faster and putting more and more stress on their bodies. And, yeah, it, I think there might be. Um, I haven't looked at the statistics. You know, you're catching me a little bit cold. But ACL is on 70-plus percent is a non-contact injury. It's a rotational injury when you're turning. And it's not that somebody slams into your leg that can do it. But usually if you just turn, your muscles haven't fully, you know, there's something unexpected that happens. Uh, maybe, you know, the ground is uneven or you just twist wrong. And it's not how hard you catch it, it's how you catch it. And if you're going fast, or even not that fast, but you turn quickly the wrong way before your muscles engage, it can stress it out, and you can tear it. Wow, that's uh, that's a great answer. I had heard, um, you know, I wanted to hear it from you. I had heard some of that before, but you, uh, as you normally do, you put a unique uh, spin on it. The other injury of note this week was Pierre Garçon, the waiter. Uh, fans of fantasy of Mr. Garçon will be waiting until next year uh, with a neck injury. Neck injuries are are a tough beast, are they not? Well, you certainly don't want to mess with them because the consequence of you know a problem can be paralysis. So yeah, they're they're pretty conservative with neck injuries. You know, a lot of neck and not this one. But a lot of them are career-ending. Even some congenital anomalies, you know, people just get a little stinger in the x-ray and they're like, whoa, you know, you, you can't be playing football again. So, um, yeah, we take them real, real, real seriously. Anyway, what he did is he um, fractured his C5 pedicle, which is the fifth vertebrae under the skull, it's non-displaced. It won't need surgery, but he's going to be under lock and key, and he's going to be shut down for at least six to eight weeks, which is, as you know, past the end of the season. I don't expect San Francisco to make the playoffs, so he's done. They IR'd him already. Yep, and he's 31 years old, so, um, it you know, but it doesn't sound like it's one of those injuries that, even with his age, you have to worry about his career. Yeah, I mean, he'll come back. I mean, it's just something that uh, he'll rehab. I mean, he'll be fine for next year if he wants to play. Okay. Um, 
The other kind of interesting news that I noticed this week is that David Johnson was once again in the news. You know, we had been planning on him being back not too far from now, and now we're hearing out of Arizona that he might not be back for the rest of the season. Uh, I don't think this is purely a medical decision. You know, if he was on the Patriots, I think he would have been playing nickelback for Bill Belichick from week two or three on. I mean, you can play in a cast. Now, DeMarco Murray played running back in a cast. I understand it decreases effectiveness. Um, I think the fact that Palmer is out, uh, they're not looking good for the playoffs, and it's a wasted year. I, I, I hate to use the word tanking. But they may not want to risk him in a year where they're going nowhere and, you know, worse record may not hurt their chances in the draft. Uh, I don't know what's going on, but I don't think this is a purely medical decision. And I hope he comes back because I, <laughs> I have him in a league, but I don't know that he will. Yeah, I haven't checked my league where I was still in first place anyway without him. I've done so many best ball leagues that, um, you know, I, it's sometimes hard to find even the ones that are in first place. Uh, but, uh, yeah, uh, I was, I wouldn't mind him coming back. Uh, but, uh, it, it, it looks like even if he does, there's not going to be much there. Uh, that's, uh, that's, that's a tough thing. You know, when you got a guy who's the number one pick in the draft and he goes down that early and you've got hope that he comes back and, it just kind of really stinks, don't you think? Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, <laughs> I went five and zero with Adam, and I went three, and I'm fighting, and I just it's it's, it's rough, man. It's rough for the Cardinals too. Trust me. Let, I I know we talked about two other guys, but we'll you know the one uh, Sterling Shepard definitely looks like he's good to go. Um, so let's talk about Jameis Winston and his uh, shoulder injury. They had him play last week, and then we found out that he aggravated it during the game. Yeah, uh, well, basically, he injured his AC joint. He sprained it in week seven. And then afterwards, the coach said he re he did something else to his shoulder on week eight, and he almost pulled him out, but he didn't. He's been feeling better, and he's going to play. Now, did he re-aggravate the sprain? Did he injure his rotator cuff? I've seen both reported. You know, obviously, there's no way for me to know. But if his rotator cuff has been affected, that will decrease his effectiveness throwing the ball. Now, he was in a windstorm last week, and certainly with any shoulder injury, it's going to be real tough. He's in a dome this week. So being he's in a dome, we will really – be able to see how affected he is by this shoulder injury. But uh, I don't know how severe he is. He seems to be getting better. The last couple weeks, he didn't practice Wednesday or Thursday, got in a limited Friday. This week, he practiced the whole week. So he's doing better. And, uh, you know, I think he should improve over last week. All right, great, because he's certainly in a good spot. Uh, I guess the last thing we can finally put to to put to bed for at least this year all our Andrew Luck talk. He certainly has been the guy we've talked about most on our podcast during the year when they put him on IR. Now, you had mentioned uh, a concern about this being a career-threatening injury, and with all the disinformation that's out there, uh, 
What, what's what's your final thoughts on Andrew Luck's future? Well, this did not go as expected. I think we'll all agree on that. Um, I don't know what's up. I think that, you know, they did the surgery in January. Now we are 10 months out, and it's way past where it should have been. Uh, he hasn't done well when they started to throw. He says he's in continued pain. So they want to get him ready for next year, obviously. They've tried. They've had plenty of time to rehab. This man has not been rushed back, and it's not been effective. So I think what is going to happen is they, you know, when what you're doing ain't working, usually you try to do something else. If football, if you can't run, you try to pass. In surgery, if the non-operative stuff has not been working, you may hear that he, you know, goes under the knife again. Now, one of the more important parts of that, you know, we all focus on the surgery, but once he's asleep under anesthesia and he has no muscle tone whatsoever, they, they paralyze you and they breathe through a machine. What they'll do is an examination under anesthesia where they will assess, number one, the stability of the shoulder. And that will let you know if there's any subtle anterior instability. Number two, they will check motion in all different planes and that will let them know if the posterior capsule is too tight. And then they'll probably scope him. And then they'll, you know, and I'll probably be a different surgeon. Because in, in reality, I'm not saying the first surgeon did anything wrong. I'm sure he did everything great. But it's, it's we get emotionally attached to our, you know, patients and our results. And it's sometimes just in a situation as, as critical as this, it's good to have another set of eyes on it that, doesn't have any emotional involvement to be incredibly objective. And you want to know if there's any cartilage injuries, which they may already know about uh, from the two years of throwing on a subluxating shoulder. Uh, they may need to do a partial release if they held them too long afterwards and it's he scarred in more than they expected. If there is subtle anterior instability, they're going to have to stabilize that and then rehab them again. Uh, but basically, if he goes under the knife again, do not be shocked. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. If you didn't cover it, I would think that they're that you know at the very least they're going to have to do something. And uh, yeah, I I I you know I know it's really hard without you seeing X-rays and stuff. But if I asked you to put a percentage on you know luck never being the same, what would it be? Um. I think that he's not going to be 100%. I don't know where he's going to be. If this is a cartilage loss, that's going to downgrade him. If, even if his shoulder is tight um, or if they have to restabilize him, you know, scar tissue, I mean, he'd be 99%. But a cartilage injury would be a lot less than that. I mean, it really depends on what the problem is, and I have no way to know, but... I think that, you know, I saw a great tweet that the blood is on Grigson's hands and everything always starts at the top. You know, you get a franchise guy like Luck and you let him get killed behind a Swiss cheese offensive line. You know, you, you can't be shocked. This is happening. Yep. And the other thing I said on Twitter is the owner, Ursay, uh, had negative comments about Bill Polian uh, walking out the door about how they only won one championship with Peyton Manning, and, and let's see what we'll do with, uh, you know, with Luck. And since that comment, um, they've they've just really gone in the tank between the offensive line 
and the you know him getting hurt and letting him play hurt uh, on teams that you know the, it, when you look back on last year and the chances of them making the playoffs never mind advancing in the playoffs were really really small uh they did a lot of damage for really no good reason yeah no i agree and and since i let bill Pullian go didn't he go into the whole hall of fame am i yeah wrong he's on that in one, the or? hall of fame and their okay. quarterback is now out of luck <laughs> All right, well, that'll do it for this episode. Doc, thanks as always, and we'll see you next week. Thank you. All right, we're back. That was, as I mentioned uh, before we started, uh, just another great episode with the Doc. Doc, thanks so much for doing it every week. Really, I know I appreciate it, and I'm sure our listeners appreciate it as well. All right, we're on to our next segment. As I started the show with uh, Sal, discussing a lot of the key moves, uh, what I thought would be interesting would be to have the numbers segment this week focus on those moves, you know, where we kind of got into a conversation about, you know, our opinion on it. Uh, We're going to let Matt dive a little deeper in the numbers segment. Matt, welcome. How are you doing, buddy? I'm well. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Glad to have you on the show. Uh, Boy, busy week, huh? I was reading, or I mean, during uh, trade deadline day, I just kept reading uh, Adam Schefter saying that like this is the most active trade deadline day he's actually ever been a part of because the NFL trade deadline day usually, what's the appropriate way to say it's terrible? Uh, we'll stick with that. It's just terrible. It's the most big, it's a giant letdown every year. They always hint, oh, well, this quarterback might be on the move. We might see this trade happen. This year, they all went down. Everything you could have imagined, plus Kelvin Benjamin, happened. Yeah, uh, it you know it's it's normally like going to a bar when you're uh, uh, when, you know when you're single and you don't have a lot of money, and it's just one of those bars where everything is expensive, and you go home with nothing but your hat in your hand. Uh, that's what the trade deadlines normally like. And this 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 time it was like going to a strip club where all the women decided that they really really liked you. <laughs> Seems like the right analogy. Yeah, it wasn't my best, but uh, you know, they can't all be winners. So why don't we start with uh, you mentioned Kelvin Benjamin? Uh, you know, first give us your thoughts on the trade, just your gut reaction on the trade when you heard about it. Well, as a Zay Jones truther, I was uh, a little discouraged by the trade initially. And then I realized that it'll put him back in the slot. I think what it honestly does is it hurts Kelvin Benjamin's value and uh, probably minimally helps Tyrod Taylor's value. But we, what a lot of people seem to forget is it's not exactly like Kelvin Benjamin's been 
the most efficient guy down in Carolina. So it'll be a question of what level of efficiency does he really add to the offense? Well, and if you think about it, they didn't want to pay Sammy Watkins, so they shipped him to the Rams. And the Panthers didn't want to pay Kelvin Benjamin, and they shipped him to the Bills. You know, they're both part of that big first-round draft class a couple years ago. And, you know, where Watkins has had injury issues that caused him to, to, to need to be moved, uh, Benjamin has struggled both with his weight and with being able to get a uh, separation. I mean, yeah, I think every year we see more and more that Kelvin Benjamin's just not a great real life fantasy or a real life football player. He's one of those guys that he's great at being bigger than everyone and everything else he's pretty average at. Exactly. And even for a big guy, He's not great at winning contested balls. In other words, he's not. if he I think... screens you with his body, he's great. But if it's yeah. just, you know, because I've seen Cam Newton hurl the ball up downfield to him five, six times this year, and not one time did I see him make a play where you said, wow, that was some play. Agreed. So um, from a numbers and... perspective, what do you got for, for us? And so what I pulled out on this was I went to the Rotoviz screener, which is probably my favorite tool over at Rotoviz. And initially I pulled up all of the current wide receivers that had made any noise on Buffalo and compared them to Kelvin Benjamin um, for targets, catch rate, and receiving fantasy points over expectation to kind of illustrate how he's going to fit in and where he's going to stack up with them um, target wise. He's out. Tar- he would be the most targeted player on the team. He has 51 targets. The next closest person was uh, Zay Jones at 37. His 63% catch rate that he has would actually rank third on the team behind Jordan Matthews and behind Andre Holmes. And his 10.3 uh, receiving. I, I, I have to interrupt you for a second because I think some people know that Zay Jones has been bad. But looking at you, you mentioned 63, 69, and 75 for the other three. Zay Jones is, at, Zay Jones 27. is at 27. <laughs> I will say he improved a little bit. I think, uh, I think he kind of won over some people on that Thursday night game. Um, he did look better. Between coming back injury and, I mean, he looked a lot better uh, in the game. But with that being said, going into this week, he had a 27% catch rate, which is kind of crazy because in college, his senior year, he had 156 receptions. So catching the ball hasn't ever really been a problem for him, but that's beyond the point. Um, And then for receiving fantasy points over expectation, it's how much are they gaining above their expected points. And he would rank second on the team with his 10.3 compared to Andre Holmes' 10.6. Again, worth noting that if we did that on a per attempt basis, Andre Holmes is outscoring him on a pretty sizable margin because he did he did those 10.6 on 16 targets. So it is kind of a worth noting thing that he is a better he's probably going to be among the best players they have catch rate wise because 
I do think he may actually see a little bit of his efficiency go up in the catch rate range because Cam Newton always has guys who are pretty low. All of his top wide receivers have been weirdly um, low catch rate guys. Um, and so you kind of have to think there's some of that attributed to him. he's not an efficient quarterback. Well, he's not at all. And he tries to throw everything like it's a bullet. So it, it'll be interesting. I think that number for him might actually go up a little bit. So he may see improvement. But the biggest takeaway that I saw, and this was the other thing I pulled up, was he's really unlikely to keep the same level of workload in Buffalo that he had in Carolina, which is sort of weird to say when this is a, air quote, disappointing workload for him. Uh, and and that's mostly because Tyrod Taylor, on average this season, is averaging uh, five pass attempts less per game and is actually sub-200 yards passing per game compared to Cam Newton's 229 yards per game. So if you are having this expectation that this may rejuvenate Kelvin Benjamin for this year, I think it it actually probably diminishes him a little bit and is, if anything, probably a slight upgrade to the offense as a whole, with namely Tyrod Taylor. It does give him a different type of wide receiver. Yeah, the only thing I I worry about from a Buffalo perspective, they certainly have the money and they certainly have the draft picks, but is this really where you want to spend the money on Kelvin Benjamin? Uh, Back to my original point, they didn't want to pay Sammy Watkins, but you're going to pay Kelvin Benjamin. And if you don't end up paying him, are you going to franchise Kelvin Benjamin? I guess you could do that for a year. Uh, But I think what they were thinking is that we don't know. I don't believe they think Tyrod Taylor is the quarterback of their future. And, you know, there's been talk of Peterman. I don't think he's their quarterback either. But I, I guess what I'm saying is I don't know that three years from now, Tyrod Taylor will be there. But I think they're counting on Kelvin Benjamin being there in three years. So we'll move and on. Then, uh, yeah. Go ahead. I, yeah, I was just going to agree with you. I think that's the biggest takeaway is if they have questions about Tyrod Taylor this is just a fresh blood because Tyrod his abilities don't match Benjamin's abilities now I mean they could just not know what the hell they're doing at wide receiver picking up Jordan Matthew you know it's just like well we'll take any wide receiver we can get because we got none um you know uh but uh it's I, I think that there's still a lot of shaking out to, to happen at uh, the receiver position for Buffalo and perhaps the quarterback position as well. So we're on to the Jay Ajayi. And I think we need to look do the same thing that the Eagles are going to do with Ajayi, which is give him a fresh start. And let's look at this from a purely numbers standpoint and not from the standpoint that his attitude could be a problem going forward yeah i mean from a number standpoint um it's it is worth noting that this probably does improve his outlook for the season just because he got away from that offense um and that offensive line which looked atrocious uh, but he also hasn't been particularly efficient either he's less from a fantasy points over expectation he's actually less efficient than blunt um and his receiving one, which is where you might think he actually is better than Blunt, he's negative on that aspect as well. So it, it is a question mark of how much of that was the Miami line. And 
the biggest concern I would have if I'm an Ajayi owner and I'm an Ajayi owner in a lot of places is he was getting 82% of the rush attempts in Miami. Blunt is currently leading uh, the Eagles market share with 41%. So it's hard to imagine that he's going to maintain anywhere near that 82%. And it's probably closer to, he just went into a 50, 50 ish, maybe even like, like 45, 45 with a little bit going to Clement or Smallwood. Yeah. See, I don't look Um, at it that way. I, I look at it differently. And, I feel like the reason the Eagles have played three running backs is because they don't like any of the running backs. They, they brought Blount in because he was on, you know, he was sitting out there for a long time and they figured, well, why not? Uh, But as soon as he got there, you started hearing that they weren't that happy with him, And I I really think that they're going to give Ajayi the chance to be that 65% guy. You know, a guy you can keep on the field for three downs. Yeah, I do think someone will get about a third of the workload. But I think if Ajayi plays well, he, he'll he be on the field for 65% of the uh, – of. Uh, it doesn't make sense to bring him in and just, make, you know, replace Corey Clement with him. I, I got to believe that they think he's a three-down back. And I, I would hope so. I, I think one of the biggest things killing Ajayi was – his inability to get like meaningful rush attempts. And by that, I kind of mean red zone attempts and spots where he's put in a good situation. I mean, blunt this season, he has about 30 less or 40 less rush attempts on the season total, but he has more red zone attempts by uh, about 50% more than JJ. Yep. Yep. All right, let's move on, um, I guess. Uh, I, I think, you know, you ask, will Ajayi get a workhorse level of carries? It certainly remains to be seen. Uh, but I, I, I think the more interesting thing for me is we, we heard a lot about Ajayi being a guy who can catch the ball and that he has looked okay when they've thrown him the ball, at least to my eye. Uh that that Andy Peter the Andy Reid Doug Pedersen offense likes to throw the ball to their running backs. What do you think the chances are that Ajay starts seeing some uh, some passes? I I actually would love that a lot, and I think that if you put him in an offense that likes to give attempts to um, through the air to the running back, it's only going to help him. I believe I'm looking this up right now. Yeah, his senior year. At Boise State, he had 50 receptions. So you're talking about a guy who averaged like four receptions a game in college his final year. So he's definitely proven that he's capable of consistently catching the ball. So that's an aspect that I did feel like he was underutilized in at the uh, Adam on the Adam Gaze offense. And if I think the biggest takeaway for me of it all is he's going to a substantially better offense right now. And if he is going to get the ball in these higher priority situations, be it targets and red zone, it does improve him from a per attempt level, if nothing else. Yep. All right. Let's move on to our last trade to discuss. 
And I think this is the sneaky one that can really make, you know, because it's not a skill player, people weren't talking as much about it, I don't think, as it relates, you know, compared to Ajayi, Jimmy Garoppolo, and uh, Kelvin Benjamin. But Dwayne Brown is a stud offensive tackle replacing the weakest link in the Seattle offensive line chain. Uh, what are your thoughts about this trade? I mean, there, there's almost no question about it that that offensive line was among the worst in the league. So adding a quality player to that line, and I, I don't know where he actually ranked among PFF. I meant to look that up, but I blanked on it. But, he, I mean, he's been a proven asset at left tackle, and they need help. When you look at the running backs as a whole for the team, they all have negative um, rushing fantasy points over expectation. The best one, the one that we all kind of were starting to appreciate before he got hurt, Chris Carson, even he was negative on the year with negative 4.1 um, rushing fantasy points over expectation. Yep. Um, um, and so – Go ahead. Um, so I did end up going to look up a few stats elsewhere – uh, off of Rotoviz. I went to Football Outsiders because I know they have a pretty solid collection of offensive line stats. Um, on So they track things like the percentage of plays that you get stuffed on at the line, and they do another thing called adjusted line yards. And then I also took a look a little bit at sack rate just for comparison's sake. Um, so the Seahawks were stuffed on 28% of their rush attempts so far this year, which ranks fourth most in the NFL. I was actually surprised they were even that good because it seems like every time they run the ball, they're immediately stopped at the line. Um, for their line as a whole, they provide the fifth fewest adjusted line yards. And then when I isolated it down to just left tackle, it's again, it's fifth worst in the league. So they're not providing any type of help to their running backs at this point. And if you bring in a quality left tackle like Dwayne Brown, it's going to help someone out. Now the question is, who's it going to be? Well, I would like it to be CJ Procise. I have a feeling they're going to keep running the combination of Thomas Rawls and Eddie Lacy out there until I go crazy. Well, Procise hasn't been healthy. He certainly brings something that no one else does. Uh, but you, you have to wonder if they'll give him a big role after he's been so injury prone. Uh, they've talked the talk this week about getting Eddie, Eddie Lacy um, the opportunity to, to really take the job. And I'm really curious to see how that goes. 3,200 on DK this week. I will be playing some Eddie Lacy throwing up some Hail Mary prayers and hoping for the best. Um, I, I said that I lied. I said that Brown was the last guy. I mentioned Jimmy Garoppolo real quick, but I didn't see that you had run some numbers there. Of course I did. Uh, why don't you cover the Jimmy Garoppolo trade? Jimmy, I, I, I'm rarely a truther, but I am a Jimmy Garoppolo truther. And so Jimmy Garoppolo is kind of an interesting case because obviously his sample size is, pretty much four games, three games. Um, and but I did want to com- – yeah. Um, I did want to 
point out a couple of things to compare him to the guys that have been at the 49ers this year. His completion percentage of 66% on his career is seven points higher than Brian Hoyer's career, 59%. He does. I'm not even going to take interception rate into account because in that, because he's played such a tiny sample size, his interception rate is zero. Um, so unless he's the greatest quarterback that's ever played football, that's going to increase at some point. Um, and then AYA is a predictive stat. Um, I believe it's predictive, but it's a stat that we've kind of, they've put together at Rotoviz and I believe it's used elsewhere. It's adjusted yards per attempt, which takes into consideration it negatively impacts your yards based on interceptions thrown. It also positively affects it for touchdowns. And his 8.3 is substantially higher than both Hoyer and Bethard, um, with Hoyer at 6.7 and Bethard only at 5. Uh, and all that's pretty meaningful. And the thing that I want, also went back and took a look at after that is I ran or pulled some numbers on how Kyle Shanahan has done as a whole for quarterbacks. Um, he's peaked, obviously, that 2016 season was pretty historic with Matt Ryan. He did have a, a 70% completion percentage and a 10.1 AYA. But he has also produced um, all but three of his seasons. His starter had a completion percentage over 60%. His interception totals are sitting between – It's most of them, again, we're going to kind of take out the bottom three because they were pretty – horrendously bad by comparison it was donovan McNabb in 2010 grossman in 11 and then brian hoyer in his one year with the i believe that was the browns year um but he's at he's in that two and a half percent range on interception rate and aya is varying from about six to ten so that the aya is a little bit variable um which is probably largely dependent upon how many touchdowns they threw but in that group you look at there's a mat there's multiple mat job years and the the good years of Robert Griffin were underneath Kyle Shanahan. So I do think even though he's going from the Patriots, which seems like it's almost always a death sentence for quarterbacks, he is at least going to the offense or to an offense that has a proven quarterback coach. Yeah. I, I think Jimmy Garoppolo has uh, he, that. I don't think that accuracy is, an accident. I think he throws a nice tight spiral and he has a very quick release Two things that, you know, lead you to believe, you know, there's what your eyes see and then there's what the numbers show. And in the, and in, in, in the real world, most of the time, the two should match up. I, I think he's got the skills to be a franchise quarterback. Now, whether he has the skills to be a top 10 quarterback or a top 15 quarterback, uh, but I do think he's at least the top 15 to 17 guy. And I do think he has the ability to be a top 10 guy, but we're going to find out. Matt, thank you again, as always, for looking behind the numbers that make up the game. Really appreciate you contributing here. All right. Thanks for having me, Todd. You got it. All right. We're going to get to our last segment, which is Dominic. And when you talk about defense, um, really, pain is inevitable. Football is a rough game and often a cruel one. Every time you lose, you die a little bit. You die inside a portion of you. Not all of your organs, maybe just your liver. Pain is inevitable. Dom, how you doing? I'm doing good. How you doing? It's not music, but it's a, it's an opening. 
hey, it's something. At least I'm in there now. Yep, you and I like that for defense. It's uh, it's not the longest, but uh, you know, if you're playing good defense, pain for the other team is inevitable. Uh, looking at your defenses this week, first on our sheet is the Seattle Chicken Hawks. Uh, tell me why you like the Chicky Hawks this week. Well, even last week when they, you know, were in that the probably the best game of the season against Houston. They still, you know, they ended up getting the pick six, and they got you 12 points. So against Washington, which right now they have basically half their offensive line is injured. Their wide receivers are doing nothing. Their running backs, you know, other than Chris Thompson, aren't really doing anything. So I think that they're going being at home again with Washington coming across country. I think they're going to feast against this, you know, Kirk Cousins-led Washington offense, even without Earl Thomas in the secondary. Yep, I, I uh, you know, it, it's possible, certainly. Uh, the next defense, really, you don't have a lot to say about it. Well, there's not really a whole lot to say. You know, it's Philadelphia Eagles, and I, you know, I put down two words, Brock Osweiler, and that's pretty much what it is. We saw what, you know, we saw what he was in Houston. We saw a little bit what he was in the preseason in Cleveland. He's, you know, he's, nothing special to say the you know they had to give the other team a second round pick just to take him from them so that's how bad they you know, Houston <laughs> thought of him <laughs> so I mean it's, it's sad when you're giving draft picks to the other team you know can you see you know uh, the Patriots saying hey we'll give you Jimmy Garoppolo and the second round pick for a seventh rounder you know, they're not going to do that with Garoppolo or they did it with Osweiler and now he's back. The only person I think gets an upgrade here, which I actually like in DFS, is Derby. I think is going to be have a good week this week. Why do you like Derby? Well, just because we saw last year when he was with Houston that, you know, all the tight ends, Fedorowicz and their, Griffin, had their best, you know, career seasons and everything. I think it's going to happen again because he's, you know, they used to say Alex Smith was, you know, captain checkdown. And I think Osweiler has definitely taken that mantle, and he checks he checks down more than anybody in the world. So I think that Derby is the pass catching tight end there. You know they have the other tight ends there to block a lot with uh, Sanders being out probably again, but Demarius Thomas still there. I think that Derby's going to get a lot of action this week from checkdowns and everything. Yeah, uh, that that is a very good point. Um, the worst, though, is check down Charlie Whitehurst. Uh, third, well, defense a, on yeah. a, third defense yeah. on our list is not one that was on my radar, the Carolina Panthers. Yeah, well, Carolina is doing really good the past couple weeks. Even the, you know when they gave up 17 points to Chicago, 14 of them were from Cam Newton, not even from their defense. So they only gave up three points. You know, they've done good the past three or four weeks on defense, even against Philadelphia, even though they lost the game, they still had some interceptions and had some, you know, fumbles and a lot of sacks and everything. I think they can keep doing that. Atlanta's not nearly the team that they were last year, which, and I didn't think they would be since the year 2000, just that you probably know, but maybe not since the year 2000, the only team in the NFC to lose the Super Bowl and make it back to the playoffs the following year is the Seattle Seahawks. And, you know, so I had a feeling they were going to go down a little bit and they've gone down farther than I thought they would. They just looked terrible last week against the Jets. You know, they didn't look good at all the week before against the Patriots. Going into the bye, they didn't look good against the Bills. 
So I just think they're having a down year right now. Ryan is having a bad year, and Keekley being back is a big help for Carolina. That's you know he's the heart and soul of their team, let alone their defense. And I just I just think they're gonna be able to swallow up this Panthers team and keep them in check. Yeah, it's a, a you, you know you don't have uh, my Jacksonville Jaguars on your list, which was a little surprising. What do you think of the Jags? I love the Jags this week, but I've been talking about them every week, so I just wanted to give them a little bit of a break. But I do like them because Andy Dalton looks like a deer in the headlights every time he's running around back there and they have pressure on him. A.J. Green can't do it all himself. So, you know, they don't really have a running game to speak of yet. Uh, Bernard hasn't done anything. Jeremy Hill's done absolutely nothing this year, even though they still consider him the starter. With Mixon finally getting going, but he's not doing anything in the one game. He's still doing his out of the pass game, you know, with 91 yards last week. But the fact that Jacksonville has the best pass defense in the league is going to limit him anyway. So I just think that they are a very good team, especially being at home. They're a great option, but I figured I'd give a couple other names to talk about this week. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, and one of those names is the Arizona Cardinals. Yeah, Arizona is a great play this week. I mean, you can figure Arizona or San Francisco, neither of the offenses are very good right now with Stanton and Beathard there. I just think Arizona, if you want to say firepower, has a little bit more firepower than the 49ers do. I think with the 49ers, especially now with Carson being out, the only thing they have there is Carlos Hyde. And I think with Arizona, you at least have Larry Fitzgerald and Adrian Peterson. So I guess two's better than one right in this case. And I think Arizona's defense is is a lot better than San Francisco's to begin with. And San Francisco just got even worse last week with their only good secondary player getting injured against the Eagles and going to miss this week. So I just like Arizona's defense going against the San Francisco team that's basically just waiting until next week to put Garoppolo in to see what they can do for the rest of the season. Yeah, I I wonder how how long it's going to be until we see Jimmy Garoppolo. Joe Staley's hurt, and there's just a lot going on. Yeah, for sure. I think that they'll probably wait until after the bye week, but who knows? Because they they play again next week, and then they have a bye week, week 11. So I'm thinking week 12, you'll probably see him back, and he'll get, you know, six games in to see if they want to give him the 20 to $22 million they're going to have to give him next year to keep him. I don't think they're going to have to give him that much. I think, think, you know, it's not in his best interest to – try and get a, you know, to play on a franchise tag. I think they might be able to get him, you know, 16 to 18 million a year for three years, let's say. Well, that would, that would be good. But I mean, that's what the Broncos tried to give to Osweiler and that didn't work out, but you know, I guess they were glad to get rid of him. So we'll see what, we'll see what happens. Hopefully they, you know, he does realize that he's smart enough to realize that the best place for him is San Francisco, which I, you know, think it is because I really don't think that, San Francisco gave up basically a late first round draft pick just to have him for the rest of the year and then go after Kirk Cousins this offseason. So I think their plan going forward is the is to keep Garoppolo for at least three or four years. So I think that whatever it does take to sign him, they're going to do it, whether it be 16 or 20. Yep, that's, uh, that's good stuff as always. Dom, thank you very much. And we will see you next week if we don't end up on by. Sounds good. All right. Thanks a lot. That was Dom, everyone, and that's going to do it for our show. No LJ tonight. He got tickets to go uh, actually to a college game instead of 
sit here and talk with me about college football, we're going to end with Kinky Afro, a nice song, kind of gets me pumped up. 